Good morning. Wow, it's on. There we go. How many know what, uh, now if, I, if you talked to me this morning already and I told you, don't, you can't say anything, okay? How many know what this symbol means? How many, raise your hand if you know what the symbol means. Okay, not too, not too many. It's the uh, Arabic letter N. It's the Arabic letter N. Now, how many of you have heard of ISIS? Okay. So when they go into a town, like not too long ago, Mosul in northern Iraq, after they got there, they established, they took over that town. They went around and found out where certain people lived, Christians. And they went to their house, and with spray paint or something else, they painted on there this symbol, N. It stands for the Nazarene. How many of you can guess who the Nazarene is? It means that the people in this house are followers of the Nazarene. And then they would come back after they had a few days to establish their rule in that area, and they'd come back to those houses and they'd give them four options, sometimes less. The first option, convert to Islam. The second option, pay a huge tax, 20 to 30 percent of your income and your possessions. Third, flee. Get out right now. Right now. Four, can you guess what it is? Die. Die. Go to that next slide, please. First. Okay. This is an excerpt from a page on the web. It's a World Evangelical Alliance. There's about 628 million Christians represented by that alliance. They in 1996, began to set aside a day of prayer yearly for the persecuted church. And this is what it says here. Today's greatest untold story, that there is more than 100 million Christians worldwide facing persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. It's happening. You can, you can see some of the countries there, Eritrea, Nigeria, India, we could add to that list Syria, Iraq, Iran. Next page, please. So we're setting, we're setting this time, this is this weekend. This, this Sunday, also next Sunday, many churches in the United States will be taking time to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. The persecution varies it's in, in its intensity. Some is kind of there. Some is really there, Okay. And here's the verse. I think many of us know this verse. Next slide. And I would like you to think about this for a few moments, please. Remember those who are in prison. Remember them. Don't forget about them. If I were to come up here, where's Nestor? He took off on me. So I'm going to take Olivia. If I came up and touched her in the arm, she would say, you touched me. Am I right? Remember when Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was on the road to Damascus? He was persecuting, persecuting on his way to Damascus, and he got interrupted by a vision, knocked to the ground. And what did, the, what did that person say? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So to persecute the body of Christ is to persecute Jesus, and we are all members. If one member suffers, guess what? 
we all suffer. We are to remember those who are in prison as though we were in prison with them. So all of us, I know this, have active imaginations on many things. I'm asking you to use that sanctified imagination to imagine you are there in prison with them. Sometime today, would you do that? Also, it's not just those in prison, those who are mistreated. Again, the gamut is wide. There's a lot of different mistreatment. Okay? Those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Is anyone here unembodied this morning? I don't see anybody. If we, they were, I couldn't see you. Everyone is in the body. You know what it's like to be in this body. Imagine you're there in that body. But I want to, my, my main burden this morning is not to kind of go through the scripture and talk about our dear brothers and sisters that are facing this. I want to talk about something else aligned with that. So I have in, in my hand here an email I got from an individual. And I've gotten a number of things like this over the years. And here's what they said. And I would like you to listen to this very closely. You can sit down, by the way. I'm sorry. You thought you were going to stand for the whole message. That was persecution. No, I'm just joking. All right. Now, this is a person that has for years prayed for, supported, given to, raised awareness with regard to the persecuted believers. They've done that. But I want you to listen to what, where they were while doing that. They, they wrote this email shortly after Dalton Thomas was here for our mission Sunday. And, and they said this, Dalton was totally inspiring. Through his presentation, the Lord answered a very big question in, which my, in, in my life, which has been a great wall in my fellowship with the Father. It is the issue of persecution. Because I feared persecution, my love for the Lord grew cold. I could not accept nor understand the purpose of martyrdom. Consequently, I couldn't agree with him. I could not accept nor understand it. My love for him became duty, resentment, deals, works, etc. I desired his fellowship and yet built this wall around me trying to convince him not to take my life. Because I had become consumed with the whole tortured with Christ, for Christ theme, and I felt our God is unfair and actually bloodthirsty. I was angry with God until Dalton used the words crucified church, and then it clicked. It's not about whether I or I am not martyred. It's about a bigger picture, a much bigger picture. How liberating. I just read a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If we refuse to take up our cross and submit to suffering and rejection at the hands of men, we forfeit our fellowship with Christ and have ceased to follow him. It's a crucified church. So I have my burden this morning is to go over the anatomy of persecution. So, next slide. If 
We have to understand what that word means, right? Anatomy. How many of you have ever read that huge, thick book when you studied, studied for medical, something medical, Gray's Anatomy? Okay, think of that. Next, next roll. There's a focus verse we want to look at, 2 Timothy 3.12. I'm, I'm going to ask us all to stare at it for a moment. Next. So persecution, keep going. Go to the end of the slide. Thank you. Persecution, what it is and isn't. A lot of people have thoughts about persecution, what it is. It's here, right? It's undeniable. It's part of the history of the Christian church. In fact, we'll see it's a bigger history than that. What triggers it? Who persecutes and why? And how does God use it? How many of you know that verse by heart? It's in Romans 8. God causes what? all things to work together for good. No exceptions. Okay. Anatomy. What does it mean? Anatomy. It's a detailed analysis of a subject, something like that. And, and when you deal with the medical uh, profession and you're looking at biology, it's dissecting. How many of you took that biology class? Well, those frogs were there, some other thing. It's dissecting something to get to the real structure, the underlying details. Now, I believe that there's a whole section of the Christian church, particularly in the West, particularly in the United States, that doesn't understand persecution and doesn't know why God is tolerating it. I just had a, one of the young people here ask me, uh, I think it was Wednesday night. They're facing a, a kind of a, she, they work in a, doing a paper for a school. There was a, an opinion written up on how can there be a God that tolerates. If there is a living God, if there's a true God, if there's your Christian God, how can he tolerate evil? Why does it exist? That proves to me there is no such God. And maybe we don't all have those thoughts, but we get marginally close to that, just like that email said. We do not understand persecution. So, our focus verse. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the verse. There it is. And it needs to resonate in us. Now, I'm not... We're going to do an anatomy of this verse and of that one thing. What is it persecuted and how is it tied to a desire to live a godly life? Immediate context. If you've got your Bible, turn... 2 Timothy 3. We'll just look at the context. Context is king. That's one of the little phrases I like to use. Any text taken out of context is nothing but a pretext for whatever you want. So we need to look at the context. Starts with verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. How many think maybe we're sneaking into those days? How many think we're just getting thrust into them? All right. 
Men are going to be what? Lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient. He goes on. The list goes on. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. He gives us some examples of two magicians that withstood Moses there in that confrontation in Egypt. Okay, verse 10. But you, Timothy, you, my son in the faith, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance. The next word, persecutions. You didn't just follow my teaching. It means you've carefully followed. You looked at it, and you've patterned your life after it. And if you do that, you're going to follow in all these things. And two of those items mentioned here Okay? Persecutions, afflictions. On and on, he talks about some things. And out of them all the Lord deliver me, and indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the context. So what is it and what isn't it? Next slide. Very simple. So I'm a, I like words. Words have meaning, am I right? People, when they use them, and especially when they use them carefully, they have something. They have meaning, context, especially to the person using the word. So in the Greek, there's this little word there used, persecution. That's a verb. The noun form is a very simple word, dioko. And here's what it means. To put to flight, drive away, pursue, hence to persecute. Now, the thing about words and their usage is sometimes they can be used both negatively and positively. This word, persecution, in that verse, 2 Timothy 3, it's used in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 where it tells us, pursue what is good. We should pursue what is good. That's the same word. Persecute. It means use vigor and really go after it. That's part of the intensity of this word. And also, it's not merely somebody treating you bad. We're going to look at 1 Peter 4. And Christians can do bad things and be mistreated. It's not like any of us have ever not stole, not been a nosy buddy, have not, there's a lot of things, a murderer. So Peter says, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being mistreated because you've done something wrong. I'm talking about mistreatment because you are a Christian for that very fact, okay? So Christian persecution being a, Follower of the Nazarene. It's unique. It's to suffer, be pursued, driven away, put to flight, persecuted because we confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what's happening. And it is, 
if God should so bring it about, it is our lot in life. You know, in the West, we've had a very calm period for a number of years. It wasn't so right at the very beginning. It was not so when the Reformation came up. It has not been so throughout the majority of the Christian history. The Christian history is a display of persecution. Now, the devil has a lot of things in his toolkit, right? The whole world system. Bible's clear. It says the whole world lies where? In the evil one. This whole world system, Babylonianism, it's rampant. You turn on the TV, read the news, get the magazines, walk down the street, go to the mall. It doesn't matter where you go. It's a whole system out there meant to entice, derail, and we'll look at it, affect godly living in worship to the only one worthy. That's its main target. So he uses that. He uses temptations. How many had uh, temptation this morning? Anybody? Come on, I'm not going to believe it if nobody raised their hand. I just, not, I'm not going to believe it. All right. Okay, we can go back. We can roll back 24 hours. Okay. All right. 48. I'm going to get every hand up. You know this is going to happen. Okay. So that's a little sense of what it is and what it isn't. But now let's go to the next slide. What triggers it? This is an important question. What triggers persecution? Right now, the whole of the Christian church and that which has the label up there, has some kind of label up there, has it in its name or something like that, calls itself Christian, the whole of that is not suffering persecution. There's a trigger. Go with me then back to that verse. If you could uh, bring up the slide that has the focus verse, Dusty. Thank you. The trigger is pointed out in this verse. It's this, all who desire, all who intend, all who purpose, all who deliberately align their lives in a particular way. You know, one of the things I've enjoyed last few years is Pastor Kevin's intentional words, intend, willful, purposeful, all who purpose, all who desire, all who have this thing and begin to take motion and move in a certain way to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Probably a better translation, I should have used it, is to live godly. It's an adverb here. So this word godly, we've got to look at it. We've got to, in this anatomy, we've got to take a look at this. In persecution, the thing that triggers persecution is this desire to live a certain way. And I tell you, the moment you start to do that, it riles somebody up. Okay, these, there, so there's a noun and a verb form of this word godliness. I like this kind of thing. It's, it's helpful. 17 times these those two words are used in the New Testament Scriptures, 17 times. 12 times in three of the little books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Titus. 
That's not happenstance. That's not by chance. That's intended. And in the context of those books, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Paul is talking to two of his learners, two of his interns, two of those that have been following him around for a number of years, watching, seeing, and he's there and he's, he's helping them plant churches. And one of the key verses in 1 Timothy is this, 1 Timothy 3.15, if you want to go there with, with me, would you please? 1 Timothy 3.15. Well, look at 14. Start there. Get everybody there. Now, honestly, Paul said he didn't drink out of this, so I'm going to trust that. 1 Timothy 3.14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you. But if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And then he rolls right into that thing without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. The word godliness is this. Now, again, how many of you know, and you've probably heard this, you've been in church, some of you have been in church for a long time, you know, the, what's the Greek word for the word God? Anybody know? Yell it out. Theos, theos, that's the word. And so you can see all kinds of compound words that use that base word, God, okay? This word godly, I really don't know quite why exactly the translators, most translators translate the word godly because it's not. It's two Greek words, well-devoted. It means to be well-devoted, given to. You have a passion, and you devote your life. Now, I'm looking around here at the audience. All right, who's got a number 12 on? Where's Dusty? I know that guy. He not, not, oh, he, did he take it off? He took it off. Some. All right, stand up. I could tell you that this guy is, to a, a fair degree, devoted to the Seahawks. Anybody, anybody amen there? Amen. Yeah. There's a number of you who have a devotion. There's all kinds of things we can be devoted to, right? I got to keep, I got to watch that. I got to devote it to it. Maybe I better take it off and put it right up here. You need a little holder, Kevin. Put a little holder in there. So it's talking about devotion to something. That's not included in the word. We just looked at that word persecuted. It can be negative, it can be positive. When Kevin was sharing the last couple weeks about the word worship, that word is not used exclusively of worship to God. It's not. You can go through the Scripture. I would say this, echoing what Kevin shared, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the, in the inside of every person, and they long to worship something. And most of the world is not worshiping the true and living God. It's the object of the worship. It's the object of the devotion that determines its value, the real value. 
So the question is, and coming back to our, our verse, our focus verse is, all who desire to live in devotion, to be really devoted in Christ Jesus, those are the people that will be persecuted. That's what triggers it. Now, what I want to do is link here, and I can, because I think it's a very important link. I think, and I'm, I was searching for the words to use, but I think devotion, this godliness, this devotion, this being well-devoted, and worship are just like this. Again, Paul's telling Timothy, what I'm telling you, the essence of a devoted life, I'm talking about conduct, how we behave, what is our pattern of behavior, consistent, long-term pattern of behavior in the church of the living God. It's a life of devotion in worship. If I could nail it down, if I look at it, you know, so many times we try, to, we try to get the real essence of something. What is the real essence of, of Christian life in community? It is supreme devotion in worship. That's exactly what it is. So I just find it this way. I'm going to add to what Kevin has shared in the past about worship. What is true worship? True worship is this, as I've understand it. It's the recognition of, it's seeing, it's recognizing, it's intellectual as well as emotional and willful. It's the recognition of and response to the object of supreme worth and unique place. I think everyone would echo, everyone is going to say amen. There's only one object in the universe that deserves our worship, and he deserves it. The object of the true and living God. And in the context, it is not just a emotional thing. It's a willful thing. I have all these little books at home. I've got so many of them there. I'm going to start passing them out. Can I bring them here and you guys? Okay. The ultimate issue of the universe. Okay, that ought to grab you. We're up here talking about ultimate issues. What is the ultimate issue of this universe? You can probably tell I'm going to talk about something here connected with the message. I'm not just going to go off on something. You can embrace everything and gather it up into this one question. One question. Wouldn't it... It's an incredible thing that we can answer the ultimate issue of life, the ultimate issue of the universe with just a very simple question and answering the question. You can embrace everything and gather it up into one question. It is the thing that runs right through the spiritual history of this universe. This universe has a spiritual history. It's not the one written in most history books. There's another history going on. 
It's the one thing that lies behind all that is taking place on this earth. You want to make sense out of the Middle East? You want to make sense out of the elections in the United States? Who doesn't want to do that? Anybody not want to do that? We want to make sense out of this thing. There is only one thing. Here it is. Who is going to be worshipped alone? Without reserve, without dividedness, without question, without rivalry, without grudgingly, wholehearted, unquestioning worship. That is the issue. That's the issue. Who is worthy of our supreme devotion, the center of our life, the core of our being, and all that we do, not only just as individuals, but what we do as a community, what we do as a church, everything devoted to that one object of supreme worth and unique place. We sing those songs. There is no one like our God. Saints, is there anyone like your God? No one compares to him. Who will you compare him to? I have none on heaven or earth. Just him, supremely. So when a group of people, when a small group, let's suppose, here we are, we're one church, right? Can I hear an amen on that? We're one. But let's suppose this, this group, they kind of start getting radical. This guy's over, I look at them. You can tell there's a bunch of radical plants over here. <laughs> and they start getting radical in the sense that they notch up their devotion to Christ. They say, I'm not going to do this stuff anymore. Not because it tells me I got to do this and not do this and do that and not do that. It's because I've recognized the supremacy, the supreme worth and value of Yeshua, of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to, I can't help it. You know what? It's going to affect all of us. Can't help it. Why? We're one body, right? So when an individual or a group of believers or even a part of a group, they purpose, they intend, they set themselves to live a life of supreme devotion in worship to the only one who is worthy. I had on my original slide, I, have, I was told to pare down the words on these slides. I'm, I'm a wordy guy, what can I tell you? So when somebody's going to do that, here is the, and you've heard this phrase many, many times. When that happens, game on. Those people, that group, listen, they constitute a threat to those who do not want the world to give supreme devotion and worship to the only one worthy. The real problem in this universe, brothers and sisters, the real problems in our lives, the reason we have problems in our lives is because in Genesis 3, a serpent came in and deceived a woman and then passed it on. And since that day, the Scripture says this, the whole world, the whole world lies where? In the evil one. 
And these guys are very serious about maintaining their control and increasing it. And those that desire and intend and purpose to live a godly life in Christ Jesus all of a sudden become a threat to their designs. Right now, there's at least 100 million of our brothers and sisters who are a threat to them. And they would like to eliminate that threat. And that's what this is all about. They don't like it. They don't want it. If they can't stop you with worldly things, if they can't stop you with temptation, guess what? They really get mad, and then they notch it up, and they persecute That's the story of the Bible, am I right? You want one big lens? I, here, I got some new glasses here. Let me pass them out. That's what I'm doing this morning. Passing out a, a lens to look at this thing and this thing. Genesis 3, a serpent came on the scene. When does he go out? When does he make his exit? Revelation 20. Has that come yet? The whole story. This is the storyline. I'm not saying it's the only thing happening, but it is the real storyline throughout the whole. It is the storyline to the universe, the spiritual history of all life. And one that I've, this question I have been asking myself and I want to ask us all. The question I've asked myself a number of times. Parker, oh, that, by, by the way, my name, <laughs> if you don't know me, my name is Greg Parker. I've been a long-time member of this congregation. So often I, God speaks to me in my last name, Parker. <laughs> Parker, are you a threat to the principalities and powers? Why not? If our life is of no consequence, if we are not on the devil's radar screen, well, he has no reason to persecute. If we got on his screen, we have intent, we have purpose, we're, we're doing that with a bunch of people. You know, last night, marvelous thing. By, by the way, how many were here last night? Amen, that was great. I prayed purposely. You know, yesterday morning we have a prayer meeting, and I prayed. John, Pastor John, had just gone out, and he was looking at what is the capacity of this place. And we were talking about that before we got started. And later on in the prayer, I thought, God, and I prayed it out loud, God, you know the capacity according to the regulatory authorities. I ask you to exceed that capacity. You know what happened? It exceeded it. Now, doggone it, Parker, what you did is you constituted a threat to somebody. They don't like this. Do you think that they want the people that were planted right in the middle of us, right in the middle of them, they want them here giving full devotion of life in worship to the living God? They do not like that at all. So my question, brothers and sisters, is are we 
a threat. Think about that. How does God use this? This is really the question that gets down right to the meat. You know, we can see it all. We can understand it all. We, there's so much that we don't know about God. We don't know his whys. We don't know his purposes, his intent, and we accept it because we believe in him. We trust him. We've, we've grown in trust to him, okay? But I think this book tells us why. And that individual, that email I read, that's what was their question. Why, God? What kind of God? And people are asking this question worldwide. This is the number one question people ask with reference to the Christian God. If there is such a God, why does he allow all evil in this world? Couldn't he stop it? Well, it would be a whole different world. Be a whole different world, not in the sense if he would to take away all our ability to choose and our free will, guess what? He could control this a lot better than he can now with how many wills in here? Just multiply that up. How does God use this for his purpose? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter's going to use as much of the same terminology we've already talked about. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Fiery trial to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Now that kind of takes it up a notch, right? Okay, don't be surprised. That's the first one. But now rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That song we sang. Someday this is going to pass. This is going to be over. Amy Carmichael said, we're going to have all eternity to celebrate. So right now let's do the things we can celebrate about because it's a short time. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. Now, I used to wrestle with that verse. I, 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 you know, I used to pray about it. I thought judgment to begin at the house of God, but I surely didn't, I didn't get the context. Judgment beginning at the house of God comes through a fiery trial to test us. That's how it works. This guy's telling us. So, we've got three things here. I want to mention them. How does God use persecution for his purpose? Refinement by testing. Judgment and separation. And one last one, demonstration. Persecution provides context 
for demonstration. Next slide. Hope, are you here this morning? Where is she? Okay. Tell her, Brad, I mentioned her name, okay? Don't want to get in trouble. She and I had the opportunity to go to a Voice of the Martyrs conference. How many of you know who Voice of the Martyrs is? Okay, they're a pretty famous group. They had three, three different presentations from three people, um, a husband and wife and two, two single guys, not single in the... They are both married. Their wives weren't there. And they talked, and they are from the Middle East. And this is a quote from one of them. And I got to meet Brother John, talk with him a brief while, met his wife. Marvelous. We prayed for revival for years. But revival didn't come how we imagined it. Revival came through war. Now, I, I tried hard to get this picture. I went out to Reuters. They wouldn't sell it to me. They said I had to be a business. I couldn't buy the picture. But this is a, in the middle of the devastation of what is Damascus. I read a statement from an Israeli uh, analyst in the army there not too long ago. He said, if we were to take all the money today that's being spent on the Syrian civil war, it would take 50 years to rebuild Syria. It's devastated. Look at John's comment. He said this. He said, we used to pray when the war started, we Christians, we'd been praying for years, and all of a sudden this war came, you know, our church prayer meetings were small when the war started, before the war. We're praying for revival, praying for revival, just a few of us. And the war came. He says, now we cannot contain the prayer meetings. We used to not reach out to our neighbors and now every one of them is coming to us. They're coming. There are tens of thousands of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Some of them are saying this. They said, if that is what Muhammad and his original followers taught and did, what ISIS is doing, and yes, it is, then I want no part of it, and would you please tell me about Jesus? happening he said this we used to pray God stop the war we don't pray that anymore we pray God use the war a part of my thing and I'm not emphasizing it this morning is brothers and sisters are we ready how many of you here have been praying for revival Keep going. But understand, it may not be. Even John said this. He says, what we envisioned was a 
Billy Graham crusade or Louis Palau crusade or somebody like that. And we'd come over and all these people would come forward and there would be revival. And God answered us in a way we had no thought for. But this is the history of the Christian church. The church grows by the seeds of the martyrs. That's how it is. That's not my design. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you. I say, God, that's pretty uncomfortable. But God says, well, okay. But I, I do three things. I've got a videotape. Run the vi uh, DVD or YouTube. What is that thing? <laughs> Whatever it is. Whatever I sent. About the two-minute mark, I'm going to have you guys up, and we're going to be doing this. That's a prayer meeting in Cairo. 10,000 people. Prayer and praise. Listen to look at those words. Increase your praises. Christ lift up the Lord to your with your tomb. Call out his heroes and heroes who walk with the cross before you. He says that he has conquered darkness and its authorities. He has lit up our days and given them color. He says that he's conquered darkness. This is a prayer meeting in 2013. They're well into... <laughs> that's good, that's good. Thank you. Listen to this, there's more. These prayer meetings are going on all over Egypt. Again, these guys have been praying for revival for years. And revival came with the Arab Spring and the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood, their women being captured and forced to convert to Islam. And now these prayer meetings are happening weekly. This is the, called the Cave Church. You can go out there and look at videos of it. 10,000 people. The largest one they had was 71,000 people. They go on for 12 hours. Let me ask you, when's the last time you ever went to a prayer praise meeting for 12 hours. They have so many coming that right now, in order to control the numbers that come, you have to get a ticket. The ticket costs you nothing, but you need a ticket to get in. Revival is happening. One of the, uh, I listened to a tape the other day, the pastor of the largest evangelical church in Cairo, 7,000 people, he says, our prayer meetings used to be a handful. And all of a sudden, something started to happen, and pretty soon there were 100 there. There were 200 there. There were 500 there. There were 1,000. There were 1,400. And then martyrdom began. These people got serious to live a devoted life to the only one worthy of our worship, our time, our resources, our time, treasure, talents, everything. Is anything else in this worth, in this universe worth that? One object, one alone. 
One of the things that jumped out at me recently in Pastor Kevin's teachings on Sunday, it struck me. I've read these verses, John 4, I don't know, a hundred times. It says, God is seeking worshipers. The God of the universe wants some out of every people, tribe, tongue, and nation around his throne, giving him the glory and honor and praise and worship he deserves. He deserves it. He has purchased for God by his blood some from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation, and has made them priests. King, a kingdom to his God and Father. What's, there it is. Next slide, please. Well, before we get into that one, I want to read here. If you want to look at some verses, we don't have the time this morning. You want to look at some verses about the fiery trial, what it does is it exposes what we're building with, and then if it's wood, hay, and stubble, guess what happens to it? If it's gold, silver, and precious stones, what happens to it? It gets refined. Matthew 13, God uses, clearly it says that if we look at the church today, it is really a mixed bag, is it not? What is called the Christian church. People get their impressions by what they're around, okay? That's good and bad. And so God, God is saying, that bears my name. I've got to judge it and separate. And so in Matthew 13, the parable of the, of the tares and the wheat, it says he gathers the tares and bundles them up together. I think right now in the United States, there is going to be some divine bundling because persecution is going to come and force the issue. It has to. There's a bunch of stuff running around today that people are assuming that's God. That's what God is like. He's not like that, right? We are not against homosexualities. Homosexual people were against homosexuality. It's not God's design. If I offend you, I, I'm not meaning to offend you, but that is the truth of the Word of God. And God must separate with the intent to burn. One last thing here. Demonstration. I think this is the it's a key one. I don't know how to put it. I don't know how to rank these things, but here's what it is. Romans 5. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That's a universal principle. Some may do that. Though perhaps for a good one person, one would dare die. But these next words. But God shows his love. God didn't send us a message written in the sky. That means nothing. God came and fleshed in a man. 
It says this, he came to that which was his own in John chapter 1. This is his world. Nobody else created this thing. This belongs to him. So he came to that which was his own. And then he says this, and his own received him not. What did the majority, especially the leadership of the Jewish nation do? They crucified him. They hated him. They wanted him dead. Did, did the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment when he found such resistance, did he go, okay, that's it, I'm done. See you guys later. He didn't do that. How many of you saw the trailer? We watched it. Sheep Among Wolves. How many, did anybody see that trailer? A few of us. So it's a video coming out from Frontier Alliance International. It has to do with the chronicles of the underground church. Sheep Among Wolves is a direct quote from Matthew 10, 16, where the Lord Jesus Christ himself said this, I send you as sheep among wolves. Does God know what he's doing? Yeah. He does. Demonstration. God shows his love. He demonstrates it. We are all this way. This is our makeup. This is what we are as human beings. I need to have demonstrative something I can see and handle and touch that knows it's real. Right? John says, oh, be warmed and be filled to the person in need. What does that do? doesn't do anything to say it. Someone has to be, give something. Demonst demonstration. And not only that, it wasn't just for good people. It's for why we were still sinners. Not only that, it's a notch above that. Brother Dave Naren, I'm looking right at you. This man, isn't he a guy, nice guy? You know what, this guy? He was an enemy. That's what we were. We wanted nothing to do with God. The only reason we had any inkling for God is maybe because of what he would do for us or he moved in our hearts and brought conviction to our souls. One last verse. I'm edging up on my time here. I'm getting... Uh... Paul's ministry was to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. God has an eternal plan. He hasn't deviated. He's not deviated one bit. Here's what he's doing. So that through the church, through the church, by means of the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Last night there was a demonstration. I'm believing it was a good one. You had fun. Everybody had fun. The kids had fun. But there's something more. And there's more than the people that were there physically. God is demonstrating his wisdom through the church to who? In this verse, who is the audience of that demonstration? 
principalities and powers in the heavenly places. They are watching. They are all the time watching. There's no escape from God watching, and there's no escape from them watching. And what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening with our brothers again and again, you can read the testimonies, there is demonstration. People are looking for, is there really a God in this universe? How do I know that? Because someone comes. I got so convicted when I met these young kids. Frontier Alliance International. They're going to Iraq. They're going to Kurdistan. They're 18 miles from the border of Iran. They're 20 miles from the border of Turkey. And they're in the cauldron of the world. And they're going there with eyes wide open to demonstrate the love of God. Not in word, not in word only. There needs to be words, but there needs to be a demonstration to feed on the ground that then when faced with something called persecution, these people can say, and I've heard them say this, I've heard people say, why are you coming here? I'm not of your tribe. I'm not of your people. Because the God of this universe loves and he wants worshipers, and he will demonstrate that if need be. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. Amen. So, let's take some time, three minutes so. Just where you are in your seats, gather around, clutch around, get together with somebody and pray about what we just talked about. Pray about those that are facing this right now, 100 million of them. There's some in Bo facing Boko Haram. There's some in, in, in Somalia facing Al-Shabaab. There's some in Iraq facing ISIS. It's all over. It's coming here. There's no stopping it. It's facing it. And praying. And so let's pray a few minutes just where you are. Take a couple minutes to do that. We're going to have a little soft music in the background. Then Kevin will come up and we'll close it. So just take a few minutes and pray, please. <laughs> 